Welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Chris Dooley. Two weeks from today, Thursday, Scotland and Wales elect new parliaments, most parts of England have local elections, and a Westminster by-election in Hartlepool offers the first big electoral test for Labour leader Keir Starmer. The constitutional question has been at the centre of Scottish politics for some years, but the issue of independence is now coming to the fore in Wales too. Most recent polls show that up to a quarter of Welsh voters want independence and one put support for leaving the United Kingdom as high as 39%. Our London editor Dennis Staunton has been in Cardiff this week to find out what's going on and he joins me now. Dennis, how real is this rise in support for Welsh independence and what's driving it? It is real in that, as you said, the polls have been showing, like some of them have been showing very, very high numbers, like 33, 35, 39%. But there's been a pretty consistent uh, level of polling over the last couple of years, which is showing support for independence at around 20 to 25%. And this is a big change from, say, where it was four or five years ago, where it was consistently around 12%. Now, it depends on how you ask the question. So that if you ask a question, would you like... uh, uh, you know, uh, Wales to be independent, yes or no, the result for independence tends to be higher. Whereas if you give people a whole range of options where they could have the status quo or they could have more devolution, uh, you know, more powers to the Welsh Parliament or independence, then, you know, the, the numbers start breaking up. But I think there's no question but that there is more support for independence now than there has been in the past. And then the other thing is that it's become much more part of the conversation. And part of that is down to this movement called Yes Cymru, Yes Wales, which is a kind of a grassroots uh, movement that started uh, having these marches in uh, 2019. And what they would do would be on the days where the Welsh soccer team was playing, uh, they would go and march to the stadium and, uh, you know, under these banners. And I I spoke to uh, a couple of people who were organising these and they were saying they kind of expected it to be a handful of people and in fact it turned out to be uh, two and a half or three thousand on the first day and since they founded around that time in uh, 2019 they had about 2,000 members paying members and they've now got 18,000 or 20,000 and uh, and the numbers have just been going up all the time so what's happening is that the the conversation about uh, Welsh independence is suddenly getting into the mainstream and people are, are speaking about it as a real alternative. And what's driving the change Dennis because I mean there was a time even when Welsh people didn't even want to have their own assembly I think they once voted four to one against having a Welsh assembly so what's bringing about this change? That's right. In 79, they voted four to uh, one against. And then even when it did come in in 1999. Look at the national count. They cannot believe it. It was razor thin. It was actually the margin was only 6,000 votes. 0.3% of a victory to the yes campaign. And so they've always appeared to be less enthusiastic than, say, Scotland has been about devolution. But I think there are two things that have changed it. One is Brexit. And Wales voted for Brexit, but of course not everybody in Wales did. So the majority of people in Wales and the majority of people in England England voted for Brexit. But what has happened since Brexit is that the government of Westminster, Boris Johnson's government, has been taking more powers to Westminster. And so, for example, when Britain was part of the European Union, there were certain powers that were given to the European Union, things like fisheries, various other things. And some of those are powers that would be otherwise attached to the devolved administrations. And so what Boris Johnson and company have done 
in the Internal Market Act is that they've said, actually, we're going to take these powers and we will decide what we're going to give to Wales and to Scotland and to Northern Ireland. And what we're also going to do is we're going to start funding projects uh, in Wales, say, or in Scotland, which are going to bypass uh, you know, the devolved administrations. And that's got some people's backs up. But I think the thing that really appears to have accelerated things is actually the coronavirus pandemic. Because uh, what you saw uh, there was that Boris Johnson, uh, because the NHS and health is, uh, you know, it's divided up into four parts, so that the NHS England was the only part uh, of the health service that Boris Johnson was really in charge of. And so for the health regulations in Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon made them. And in Wales, it was Mark Drakeford, the uh, Labour First Minister of Wales. And Wales, uh, the Welsh government was more cautious than Boris Johnson's government at almost every stage. And the Welsh people liked it. And what they found was that they suddenly realised that there were all these things that they were in charge of and that they were able to uh, to govern themselves in a way, to make decisions for themselves in a way that they thought were better or more authentic or more in, uh, in, in line with their own interests than perhaps the decisions being made in Westminster. So how has Wales fared then, then it's in dealing with the pandemic? Has it done better than England? No, it hasn't actually. And in fact, their level, you know, their deaths uh, have been higher. Their vaccine rollout has been faster. And part of that is to do with uh, demographics. The Welsh population is older than the average population in the UK and certainly older than the English population. And so they were, uh, you know, more in the category that was likely to die of uh, coronavirus. And also Wales is poorer. And so there is a correlation between poverty and mortality from coronavirus. So there have been, you know, so the outcomes haven't really been all that great. But at the same time, uh, the you know some of the measures that were taken, so for example, by the uh, Welsh government in deciding to go last autumn into what they called a firebreak lockdown. Uh, while Boris Johnson was still saying that there was no need for that. And this became a really major point, and it's something that uh, people I met in Cardiff over and over again brought up. When Mark Drakeford announced that Wales was going into this firebreak uh, lockdown, the furlough scheme was due to come to an end. And Rishi Sunak said that it was not possible to extend this. You know, the Welsh government said, can you extend it for Wales because we're telling our people that they have to stay at home? Rishi Sunak said, no, it's absolutely out of the question. We can't do it. There is no money there. And then a couple of weeks later, Boris Johnson reversed his position and said, actually, Britain is going to go in, England is going to go into a lockdown, and Rishi Sunak immediately extended the furlough scheme. And so this is the sort of thing which, uh, for those people who are, as they say in Wales, indie curious, uh, this really reinforces this sense that they have that uh, the government of Westminster, particularly this government, doesn't have their interests at heart, and that actually they'd be better off having more control themselves. Now, before we delve further into the independence question, Dennis, could you just give us a brief overview of where the political balance of power lies in Wales? Because I think everybody with a passing interest in politics can name the First Minister of Scotland and, and name the party in power there. But I suspect that's not so true of Wales. 
No, well, Wales has traditionally been a stronghold for Labour. Welsh Labour is uh, it's very distinct from uh, from Labour in general in that it's you know it's rooted in uh, in the valleys, it's rooted in uh, the the industrial uh, heartlands of Wales, and it also has kind of roots within the nonconformist religious tradition, and so it's very much part of Welsh national culture is the Labour movement. And you think about people like uh, Nye Bevan, people like Neil Kinnock, uh, some of the great figures of Labour came from Wales. And Labour has always been the dominant party in Wales. It still is. But this time round, Labour has not been able to form a majority. And in fact, within the the, the Welsh Senedd in the Parliament, uh, for the last few occasions, they haven't been able to form a majority government. So they've just recently been in one with the Liberal Democrats. There's only one Liberal Democrat left in the government, but still they're just about there. And the polls suggest that Labour will remain the biggest party, but will have to go into coalition with somebody. And the somebody that seems most likely is Plaid Cymru, the Welsh Nationalist Party. Now, uh, the Conservatives have always been strong enough and they've been gaining ground up in particularly North Wales and in the parts of Wales that border England, where an awful lot of the people who live there are actually English and they're almost suburbs in some ways of some of the English towns and cities near there. And so the Conservatives are strong and they also had a kind of a red wall up uh, in North Wales where uh, the Conservatives gained a number of seats from Labour uh, in the 2019 general election. Now it looks according to the most recent poll this morning that the Conservatives won't take those seats for the uh, Welsh parliamentary elections but the, nonetheless they're you know they're a strong party so the question is you know labor are number 1 probably and then who's second is it going to be the conservatives or is it going to be plied and then whatever happens what you know what is the form what's the government and all of the mood music points to a coalition between labor and plied cymru and presumably the rise in support for independence which you've mentioned is translating into more support for plied cymru not necessarily. Now, there are some, the polls in Wales, they're kind of odd because uh, they don't tend to hurt. You, know, you often see wildly contradictory polls within a single week in Wales. And so some polls are suggesting that Plaid Cymru are going to gain quite a lot. Others are suggesting they'll actually lose support. But in a way, it it's, it doesn't really matter because if you look, if you talk to people like Yes Cymru, they're a, a deliberately non-party political movement. And where, what they see as the growth potential for the independence movement is among Labour supporters. And there are some polls, there was one poll recently which suggested that 51% of Welsh Labour supporters are in favour of independence. And another poll suggested it was 40%. Three candidates for the Labour Party are uh, in favour openly of Welsh independence. And so what the strategy for the independent, the new independence movement in a way, is that of course you work with Plaid, but that actually you go and you target Labour. And what you try to do is that you move Labour from a position that where it is now, where it wants devolution, and it wants more devolution, and it wants a reform of the United Kingdom and of the relationship between the constituent parts, and you move them towards a more pro-independence position. And that's uh, where those people see the potential. And in a sense, that's partly to do with what I just mentioned about the historical role and position of Labour within Welsh national and political life, that actually, if you're going to uh, get to independence, that's where you've got to get to. The other interesting factor about uh, Welsh Labour is that it is 
much more ideologically curious about alternatives to the status quo than Scottish Labour is. Scottish Labour is an overtly hardline unionist party. And so the party of independence in Scotland is the SNP, with obviously a couple of others uh, you know, trailing in their wake. But basically, the SNP is the party of the national movement. And in, uh, in Wales, Plaid Cymru has never been that. And one reason for that is it's identified by many people as a party for Welsh speakers. And so it can't really cut through to places like the valleys, where uh, you know there's much less uh, Welsh spoken. And so this new and younger independence movement is trying to reach beyond that particular core. Now, while some Denison Wales are calling for independence, others want to go in the opposite direction and abolish the Welsh Parliament altogether. Where are those calls coming from, and how strong are they? Well, there's again polls would suggest that that you know the support for the proposition that you abolish, uh, you know, the uh, Welsh Parliament, uh, you know, it, that it's it's it could be anything up to say twenty percent. Now, as you mentioned, there was a history from seventy nine onwards of resistance to the Welsh initially the Assembly and now the uh, the Senate, uh, you know, and and that, and so that's kind of remained, and so it tends to come from uh, you know people on the right and people who are who see their identity as uh, as British and very strongly British. There's a party called Abolish the Assembly, and that is made up of. Uh, you know, it's just really been formed for this election. And it's got some kind of disaffected conservatives. It's got some former UKIP people, some former Brexit Party people. It's that kind of area. And I met a couple of them, including a guy, uh, one of their candidates called Lee Canning, who's from Straban. And he uh, comes from a nationalist background, a nationalist family in Straban, but he is a very, very avid unionist. And he moved to uh, Wales, you know, about 18 years ago when he was about 18 to study. And he just, as he said to me, he he discovered the joys and the strength of the United Kingdom. And so he's uh, one of these people. And their argument is, Wales has done, in, in some ways, they're making the same argument that uh, the independence people is, which is, look at the outcomes in Wales. Our educational standards are lower. Our health outcomes are worse. Our, you know, uh, the poverty is greater. And uh, and so, you know, what the independence people say is, that's because Westminster doesn't care and uh, their priorities are not our priorities. What the abolished people say is, it's because... We're wasting all this money on devolution. And the fact is that if we were just in line uh, and essentially were more directly integrated with, the, uh, with, with London and with Westminster, then we'd be doing much better. And so they're a kind of a right-wing populist Brexity uh, kind of element. And they tend to be in favour of, you know, abolishing restrictions on pubs and drinking and on, you know, they don't like face masks and, you know, that kind of stuff. They're, you know, they're the kind of classic right-wing populist element. But still, there's, uh, you know, there's enough of them that some people that, you know, say political scientists who are looking at this stuff will say that you could get to a point where the consensus uh, around devolution a very strong consensus around devolution in Wales could begin to get squeezed by independence on the one hand and assimilation on the other, so that those are the choices that Welsh people are going to face. So how do you think the outcome of next month's election then will affect the debate about independence? Two things matter. One is, uh, if Plaid does go into uh, government, I think uh, that 
could make a big difference. Their uh, leader, Adam Price, is uh, one of the most uh, accomplished politicians in Wales. He's a he's a very good orator. He's a, an accomplished uh, economist. He's a serious figure with with ideas, and he's uh, you know he's promised that if they get into government, they're going to have a referendum in the first term on independence. Now they're not going to be able to to have that referendum, but I think what Plaid will want to do is to show that they can make a difference in government. And I think a, you know, a Labour-plied coalition could reinforce this sense that uh, there's more that Wales can do on its own and uh, and also that you're going to have this conflict with the, uh, the Westminster government, which is trying all the time to, in a way, undermine the devolution settlement. They're particularly eager to undermine the devolution settlement in Scotland because the devolved administration is headed by Nicola Sturgeon but they're quite happy to do the same in Wales as well. So I think you'd be set up for this kind of conflict between uh, a much more overtly, uh, you know, confident Welsh identity-based uh, government in Wales, and uh, you know, and this uh, you know government in London, which is trying to accrue more power to itself, and that again could uh, you know uh, push the constitutional question uh, you know right into the forefront further. Is there a demographic factor in this, Dennis? Do I take it from what you said earlier about the CS Cymru group that um, a lot of young people are getting behind the cause of independence? Yes, the numbers uh, among young people are much higher and there's really a very, very high level of support. The younger you get, uh, and people uh, of 16 years, 16-year-olds and upwards can vote in Welsh elections. And so, uh, you know, the, so certainly the younger the people get, the more likely they are. Uh, I mentioned this phrase they use about indie curious, and uh, one of uh, the people from Applied Comedy was saying that essentially, uh, if you're indie curious, you're ready to question openly and in public and among your friends the status quo and just whether really they sh- you should be part of the United Kingdom. But then, as he put it, you often, uh, they almost always get onto a kind of a slippery slope once they start questioning, and they soon become what he called indie confident, where they uh, start to really, you know, they, they almost never go back to this uh, idea of sticking with the status quo. And so they see this as a kind of a spectrum and a journey for uh, a lot of, you know, Welsh people, and particularly young Welsh people to take. And so, again, one of the guys I spoke to from Yes Cymru, he's setting up a bank, a Welsh bank, Bank Cambria, and it's being backed by the the Welsh government. And the idea is that it's going to be uh, a sort of a mutual uh, bank, a bit like the uh, Sparkassen in Germany, sort of locally uh, run banks, which uh, would then basically bring banking services back into communities that haven't had, a, had them before. And so their strategy partly then is to kind of say, you know, there are things we can do to, which will anticipate independence, you know, so that in other words, we, we do these self-reliant things and that that will demonstrate uh, how much we're capable of and think about it, if we were independent, we'd be capable of more. Now, I expect, Dennis, we'll talk about Scotland in more detail in the next week or two, but does the cause of Welsh independence depend to any degree on what happens in Scotland? Yes, it does. I think there's, you know, almost everybody would agree that uh, if Scotland decides that it's going to go for independence, if they have a referendum and they vote to leave the United Kingdom, that immediately uh, you know, makes independence in Wales a much more likely thing because suddenly Wales is left almost alone 
with this much bigger partner in England. And it's much, you know, it's even more likely to be an afterthought than it is now. And, uh, you know, and so, uh, so I think that, you know, you know, again, those, uh, yes, comedy people would say, you know, we need to plan for a very long campaign. This could take an awfully long time. But at the same time, we need to be ready if something happens in Scotland that really things could move very, very fast here. And that this crisis, you know, could could create a, you know an opportunity, and uh, and I think the other thing is that actually, if Scotland goes, it obviously you know changes the nature of the British state in general, and uh, and it also might just you know change the nature of Englishness, and I think it's certainly you know now that like once you have, I mean, if you look at the the figures now, if you're twenty five to or thirty or thirty three percent in favour of independence in Wales now, that's the level of support you had for Scottish independence when they were planning the referendum in 2014 before the campaign started. So, and they got up, as you know, to 45%. And so, uh, so, so they're not, you know, now that they're above this kind of threshold of 20, 25%, they're now suddenly, uh, you know, within reach of making another breakthrough. I mean, having said that, you know, there's still no immediate prospect of it, and Wales has been fully integrated within uh, with England since Henry VIII, and so it's uh, you know that relationship uh, of unequals goes back much further than the relationship with Scotland. So, could Welsh independence really happen? Then, do you think? And, and if so, how soon? I think it could. Uh, I, I think I think that Brexit has changed uh, so much because. Uh, and I think also just the nature of this uh, of the Conservative government, and particularly if this government uh, remains in power, wins another term uh, at Westminster, I think that in a way, when you had when Britain was part of the European Union, uh, and you had various layers of government from Brussels, Westminster, and the devolved administrations, devolution made more sense for everybody. Uh, I think that now the problem is that uh, for the for London, and in fact for for both of the parties at Westminster, both Labour and uh, the Conservatives, neither of them are really ready to consider a radical change to the relationship between uh, the constituent parts of the United Kingdom. So, for example, they're not really going to go for proper federalism because uh, that would undermine the uh, supremacy of Parliament. Parliament under the British Constitution is sovereign. And what that means is that with an 80-seat majority at Westminster, Boris Johnson could tomorrow decide at Westminster to abolish the Parliament in Wales and the Parliament in Scotland. And uh, and so that's uh, you know as long as that as that's possible, then I think that the relationship is going to be unstable. The arrangement, the constitutional arrangement, is going to be unstable. And I do think that now that uh, you know that certainly if Scotland uh, were to leave the United Kingdom, we don't know what would happen in Northern Ireland. That's another question, and in a way less relevant to what happens in Wales. But certainly if Scotland were to leave, the whole nature of the project of the United Kingdom. Uh, is changed and in question, and then Wales uh, could consider another option. So I think it is possible, and if it were to happen, it could happen. Uh, it could happen any time within the next sort of decade or two. And finally, Dennis, just on a slightly broader, different question to finish up. Um, you've been in Wales this week, and um, you're, you're traveling to, traveling to Scotland to report on the elections there and the election in Hartlepool, we mentioned the by-election. It's been your first chance in a long time to get out of London and, and test the temperature, as it were. How would you describe the mood of, of people you have met? Are they optimistic about the near future? Do they feel the worst of the pandemic is behind them now? 
I think they probably do feel that the worst of the pandemic is behind them. But I, I think certainly a lot of people that you meet are, are very scarred by it. And an awful lot of people also are very fearful. I was talking to uh, a, a woman who runs a pub in Cardiff. The, 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 they don't have, you know, England opened outdoor hospitality uh, last week, but it only opens in Wales and in Scotland next week. But you could get sort of takeaway pints and the abolish the assembly people quite like their takeaway pints. So I met them for a couple of them. And talking to the uh, the woman who ran the, uh, the pub, she was saying that, you know, in England, they're getting these restart grants of, say, £18,000 to to restock the place when they reopen, and that in uh, Wales, they're not sure they're going to get this. And uh, and so she's fearful, to, you know, basically, you know, the money she's getting in from her takeaway pint, she's going out to buy more beer and to, to keep going. So they've got no margin. And so I think that, uh, you know, in, in Britain generally, uh, the, the margin that people have is quite tight. And so, uh, you know, uh, and there is a fear, I think, too, that once the, uh, you know, the ice of the coronavirus pandemic thaws, that you will start to see the wreckage of companies that are not going to come back. And I was, for example, walking down Oxford Street the other morning and uh, and looking at uh, the shops were open again and there were people going into them but every other shop was boarded up and part of this is just you know things like Debenhams which have closed and all these things that closed during the pandemic uh, or maybe just before that aren't reopening and other places then even going down along Bond Street where the uh, luxury shops are a number of them haven't reopened because there are no tourists who are the people who are going to spend the money there. And so there's, there's this fear, I think, that once things really reopen, that you'll start to see the full extent of the wreckage. And, of course, all the supports like furlough uh, payments will start to withdraw. So certainly there's no question but that there is a sense of relief and almost kind of elation in, the, in, in a kind of a human way of just being able to meet people again. But I think there's also... Uh, a deep anxiety among many people as to what actually they're going to face once things go back to some kind of normality. Dennis, we'll leave it there. Thank you. And you can read Dennis's report from Wales in Saturday's Irish Times. That's all for this week. For more on this and other international stories, go to irishtimes.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now.